My coverage of the first regular episode of Twin Peaks continues this week. Today's episode is uh, covering the different scenes that involve Laura storylines in one way or another. So scenes with uh, characters who are very much in her shadow, as I mentioned yesterday. Let's look at the different scenes in light of the different plots and subplots. For the Laura story, uh, for the murder, we get Cooper entering the sheriff's station greeting Andy and Lucy and, and Harry as they eat donuts. As you can see here, he's going you know, back to work to renew the investigation this morning. We can see them reconstructing the set uh, there's like some construction people there taking down a barrier. And the reason is that when they shot the pilot, if you notice, there's like a glass barrier in that building. And it would have been kind of awkward to work around with the camera moving between like the, sec the, the receptionist desk and the offices. So to explain away why this new set has no uh, glass <laughs> glass partition, they just have people on screen coming in coincidentally to remove it the day after Cooper's arrived. The plot delivery that Cooper delivers gets a comic edge because of all the donut munching. Uh, this is a good way of delivering lots of heavy exposition in a light way that feels like it's more, you know, you're, you're getting your, uh, you're, you're getting your candy with your vegetables. That's a terrible analogy. Who would want to eat candy with vegetables? But you, you know what I mean? A little sugar with the medicine, I guess. Uh, we're six minutes into the story at this point, but the show is in no rush to race forward with the plot. Uh, even though it does want to set an agenda at the outset, which will which it will then follow. Watching this episode after a lot of Hill Street Blues that I've been watching, the show, the cop show that Mark Frost wrote uh, wrote for before Twin Peaks, what's really striking about this police station is how clean it is, how relaxed it is. It's busy, but it's not so bustling. If you watch Hill Street Blues, every episode opens with like, you know, they do their morning conference, and then they're all coming up into the station. There's like dozens of people jostling and it's all dirty and there's like criminals being thrown around and they're bantering back and forth it's very urban environment so this is just a very striking contrast that i'm sure frost must have appreciated as he worked on this show also part of the murder story we get doc uh going you know going over the autopsy results with cooper and truman he explains many of those things i mentioned above and he's obviously disturbed by this. He says he brought in Joe Fielding from Fairville to actually do the autopsy. He assisted because he knew Laura. She was his daughter's friend. He actually delivered her as a baby. And now he's, you know, analyzing her after her death. It's kind of dark. And the show really doesn't let us forget that. Even after he segues, after he humanizes her and then segues into like the more clinical, kind of dark grisly details even that is sort of tempered as he his voice breaks and he says oh she was so beautiful and he's looking at the at the picture so that's handled again really well balancing the kind of plot mechanics and the human drama there this is the first time in this scene that cooper looks really serious again all of the first early scenes he's got like a almost a big grin on his face he's really enjoying himself but now he's back to being the professional cop the the fun aspect was there in the pilot but episode one really heightens and exploits that that aspect at the expense of the other qualities. So again, it's seven minutes before we see this stern professional side of him. There's even a little American flag behind him. Like, okay, now we're back in business. The all-American cop, nothing but the facts, or just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> Cooper and Truman uh, show James the video of Laura and Donna. He hasn't seen it yet. We saw it several times in the pilot, but this is James's first viewing. But he admits to shooting it. 
and he acknowledges that the half-heart necklace is his, and he says something scared her. And we get this flashback to Laura looking almost like Britney Spears or something. I think another podcast pointed that out, sort of baby one more time era uh, Britney Spears. is very syrupy and corny. You know, she's like, it's all sort of a soft focus look at Laura and James a uh, few weeks before she died. And it's like, you'd never think anything was wrong. She's happy and she's smiling. Oh, I love you so much. And she gives him the, the half heart necklace and, and hands it to him. But James won't talk about this yet. This is the one thing that he holds back. Otherwise he's given the cops everything that they, that they want. Basically he's going along with it. Truman, uh, Harry Truman introduces Coop to Ed later in the episode as he comes to pick up James and uh, he, so James now is is being released. The, the main reason, though, that I'm including this scene in this set, in the murder section is because it introduces an FBI agent who's going to be coming to help uh, Cooper out. It's the second mention of Albert after the pilot. Cooper says, Diane, give this to Albert. He's a little more on the ball. And now we're hearing Albert Rosenfeld is coming to Twin Peaks. So Cooper gets on the phone with him and, and talks to him. We also get a little bit of Lucy comedy here. She goes on about how it sounds like long distance. There's a sound on the phone. This, is, this and her munching on the donut are the only kind of little comic aside she gets in this episode. She's really not in it very much. She had more to do in the pilot, although mostly just sort of that one opening scene where she's going on and on about the phone. We also hear from Cooper as he talks to Albert that they're going to put the girl in the ground or put her in the ground on Monday. So Laura's funeral is obviously coming up and he wants Albert to get his work done before then. Another Laura story is the Palmer family life. We get a few scenes where that comes up uh, when Cooper is talking to Harry. He says, oh, we should talk to her parents, but give them a little time to deal with their grief. Later, we see Donna showing up at the Palmer house, and Leland escorts her to Sarah, and she sits down with her to comfort her, and Sarah's just weeping and weeping, and I miss her so much, and then she envisions Laura's face over Donna, hugs Donna, and then she sees a vision of the long-haired man somewhere in the corner, and she starts screaming. Uh, it looks like he's hiding behind a bed. So it's obviously not in this room with her. It's just something that's like somehow popped into her field of vision. In this scene, Leland is very calm and stable. We saw him grieving in the first, in the pilot, but it looks like he's sort of the anchor here, whereas Sarah is just collapsing and not able to handle this. Another Laura story is the relationship to Bobby. At this point, that's mostly filtered through the fact that Bobby has been arrested and is released and wants to get revenge on James. That's how his uh, romance with Laura is manifesting itself now in this resentment against James that led both to his arrest and some of his activity after he gets out. Cooper talks about Bobby in that first scene with Harry when he's briefing him on the day. And then when Cooper and Harry show James the video... Uh, that's when James says that he thinks Laura might have been scared of Bobby. I think Cooper leads him to say that, like, of Bobby? And he says, yeah, I think so, I think so. In the jail cell, we see Mike and Bobby discussing their coke deal with Leo. This is when we really find out that they're involved with drug dealing at all. It is never touched on in the pilot. And uh, we're finding out how involved Laura was with that, how their relationship, Bobby and Laura's relationship, was tied up with this this criminal element here. And, of course, Hawk returns James to the cell at the end of the scene, and Bobby stares him down again like in the pilot. When Harry introduces uh, Cooper to Ed and releases James, 
he says, look out, like Mike and Bobby are coming out later. So everybody's concerned about this idea that Mike and Bobby are going to go after James, but they're not really going to do anything about it at the moment. They just want everyone to be aware of it. And when Cooper and Harry do release Mike and Bobby, they explicitly warn them, says, you know, uh, you better not go after James Hurley. And uh, and Harry's just kind of like, oh, that's it. We're letting them go. And they, they walk out, Mike and Bobby. They make a big show of, you know, he says, you got your story straight before you talk to us. And Bobby, of course, is right on the ball. I, what do you mean? And we're telling the truth. We don't need to get a story straight. And then he doesn't even ask him any questions. So he's really just jerking their chain around Cooper in this. Uh, even to Harry's surprise, that's when Harry says, you know, I'm beginning to feel a lot like Dr. Watson. Back at the uh, at Bobby's house, his father tries to talk to him about Laura and, and the, her death, and he doesn't want to hear it very surly. And uh, later, finally, we see the last scene with them, Mike and Bobby uh, drive by the Haywards. They see James's bike there, and Bobby's, you know, still pissed that Laura cheated on him, even though obviously he was cheating on her with Shelley. But this is like, you know, an unacceptable affront to his pride. So speaking of the relationship to James, another storyline that has several scenes tying into it. Uh, you know, obviously Cooper mentions that in his briefing, and then we see them showing the video. And uh, as I said in that video, we get a lot about the relationship. I mostly covered that in the, the murder section. It kind of overlaps there. They're, they're curious about it because of the murder, because of her last night, but it also leads them to talk a lot about uh, the relationship that, that James and Laura had together. Uh, Cooper is happy to let the cat out of the bag at this point, to, to get to the point, which is kind of surprising. Like, he brings up the bike himself. He brings up the other, the that she he was her boyfriend. He brings up the necklace, the half heart. He's not, like, waiting to hear what James is going to give him. He wants to kind of race him ahead so he can hear what James is going to say about it. He doesn't want to play games. It's interesting sort of interrogation technique. This flashback is the first time that Cheryl Lee has delivered dialogue as Laura, and it's the second time she's played her alive, including the picnic video. So, you know, this is a dead character, but already we're really seeing her, the actress, get to inhabit this character. And she gets an actual uh, credit, I think, in the opening, not in the, like, opening, opening credits, but after the show begins, when all the sort of guest stars are coming on, we see Cheryl Lee in there. So it's like they really want to make her a part of the show, obviously. I wonder, too, if this flashback is used to establish what her voice sounds like, to associate her voice with her face, so that when we hear that tape at the end of the episode, just in case, you know, we miss the obvious, that we pick up on that. I just wonder if that was a practical consideration for this. And, of course, James is put back in his cell, and then later he's uh, released. And uh, when when he's released to Ed... uh, Harry said, or uh, Cooper tells Ed that James cleared up a small doubt for 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 Cooper. I'm not sure what that is. What was the doubt he cleared up? Because he didn't say anything about the half heart necklace, which was the big concern. I, I, maybe he just means a more general doubt to make to reassure him instinctively that James wasn't didn't do it. I don't know. Donna talks to her mother about James. She tells her that James and Laura were together, but also that uh, she is now with James. And her mother is very sympathetic and. This is a wonderful little scene where Donna wakes up, comes downstairs, uh, sort of uh, wearing a hockey jersey and sits down with her mom and tells her how she's feeling about all this stuff and how uh, how torn she is because she feels still feels loyalty to her dead friend, but she's now in love with her friend's boyfriend and she feels so happy about that, very confused. 
Uh, we'll talk about that a little more in the James and Donna section, but obviously it relates to Laura's relationship with James too. When Hawk releases James to Ed, James mentions uh, some something. We'll bring that up later. But Ed reveals that he looks he looked after James uh, when his mom is out of town. He says that in the first scene with Cooper, and then when James is released, he says, "Oh, my mom's still gone." So there's something going on with his family where Ed is uh, somehow here for him in a way that his own parents are not. Afterwards, of course. Uh, you know, Harry and Cooper release Mike and Bobby. They drive by the Haywards. They see James's bike, etc. We already talked about that. And uh, when Jacoby listens to Laura's tape, we hear her say that James is so sweet, but uh, he's he's so dumb. So this is an interesting reversal at the end of the episode. We've been hearing over and over just how much James loved her, how troubled their relationship was, and it seems like at the very least she took him seriously, if not. You know, even if she was sort of rough on him, it's like they were so in love that that's why she couldn't see him. That's why and we realize at this moment we've been getting James's view of Laura this whole time. And that's not necessarily how she viewed the situation. Maybe something else was going on there as to why she didn't want to spend time with James. It's just an interesting peeling back of the curtain uh, through that Jacoby scene. The Laura and Donna story, uh, when uh, Harry and, and Cooper show James the video, of course, Donna's in there as well, and uh, then we have that weird repeat of the video footage where it's just sort of the slow motion of Laura and Donna dancing, and then it freeze frames on her face and says, help me, on the soundtrack. And then we dissolve to the Hayward home, and it makes me wonder, as Donna comes downstairs, it makes me wonder if this was supposed to be a dream. Uh, like, that's why we're seeing and hearing this. But I think Dwayne Dunham talked about wanting to use this footage just wanted to find ways to keep using it because it was so compelling. Uh, the image of Lara was so haunting. It really brings home from the abstract what, what, what we're talking about in the rest of the episode. It brings it home visually, her sort of haunted quality. Uh, when Donna talks to her mom, uh, she talks about her friendship and her loyalty to, to Lara. And then when she visits the, uh, the, the Palmer house, you know, they, talk about uh, she it's clear that donna is like uh somehow for the for sarah just like a token of laura like she sees her because of their friendship together and they don't really look anything alike so it's weird that her face pops up there but that is what it is for the laura and renette part of the story uh, as i said when doc goes over the autopsy results uh, he confirms that, you know, the connection between them. But then we also see Hawk go to the hospital and he questions Renette's parents, finds out that, that she worked at a perfume counter and that, you know, that the mother says she was the sweetest smelling job she's ever, or her father says she called it the sweetest smelling job she'd ever had. Not sure what that means. Like, did she work at an animal slaughterhouse before or something? Like, why would that be notable? Uh, the parents here are different actors then we're in the pilot. The mom's name is actually, the character's name is actually even different if you look in the pilot episode. And we never see the mother in the pilot, but a scene was shot in the credits for that episode. They have a different uh, character and actress listed as Pulaski, uh, but then they replaced them for this episode, probably because they're down in Los Angeles shooting now. So they're not going to, they'll bring down certain actors. They obviously brought down Cheryl Lee and other people who have big parts, but if it's just somebody who's minor, they're not going to bother. And actually, if you notice, Renette is there in the background, but her face is turned over. And if you look, it's clearly not the same actress as the pilot. So 
clearly they felt like they didn't need her for the for at least for this shot the therapy storyline when we have jacoby listening to laura's tapes we discover that she was sending him tapes as part of the therapy that this was something he wanted her to do although it seems like he's taking more than just sort of a professional interest in them for the addiction storyline uh when doc goes over the autopsy results with cooper and and harry it's uh, sort of left in limbo if she was on drugs. Obviously, we saw the cocaine in her um, uh, safety deposit box, I think. There was like a residue. I can't remember now if it was confirmed or not, but we also saw a little residue in her diary. And we still don't know because uh, Doc says that uh, he sent, the, he sent the, the results off to a, a lab for a toxicology report. So we... That's all we have on this for now. For the drug dealing, of course, we do get confirmation that Laura was involved with that, as was Mike and Bobby. And uh, we've discussed that extensively already. For the charity storyline, we have uh, when Cooper's eating at the Great Northern, he's, you know, savoring his coffee, make, ordering a big breakfast, and Audrey sits down to talk to him. And she talks about how he would help her brother Johnny Horn, says Johnny's uh, 27, but he's in the third grade. He's got emotional problems runs in the family it's kind of a little ominous but we, so that's that's giving us a real sense of our first real sense of laura's sort of goodwill toward the community the thing she would do as a volunteer and audrey is the first one in this episode to bring laura's name up also for charity we get josie talking about laura's visits to her uh, this starts off with pete and josie uh you know getting uh, talking in the kitchen they get a buzz from uh that that cooper and and harry have arrived and so they sit down with Josie. She's changed into like a red dress and she's very formal and polite with them and tells them all about the details of Laura's visits and says in the last visit that Laura expressed some sort of sympathy with how she lost her husband and that ever since this is haunt, this these last words of Laura have stayed with her like a haunting melody. And then she has to leave. She gets a phone call and uh, then she comes back and asks them what shenanigans are because Catherine was used that expression on the phone. So by that point, the the charity aspect of the of the scene is over. The Laura's learning about Laura, but we also learn about Laura's charitable work at the Double R Diner. Norma tells him about the Meals on Wheels. We don't learn any more about why Laura was involved with Flesh World. For Laura and Leo storyline, uh, we still don't have much of a firm connection between them. In the pilot, we cut from uh, Renette's photo in the magazine to. Of, there was like a Leo's truck. There was a photo of that next to it. And then we cut to his house to confirm it was indeed his truck. We see big pussycat emblazoned across it in this episode. And he has Shelly doing his laundry. And that's when she kind of pulls out this shirt and sees the stain and hides it in a drawer next to the outside laundromat. It's very sunny in this scene. If you look at it, it was probably shot on Malibu Lake. Uh, when they were down there shooting, when they shot exteriors, they would go there for a lot of the stuff just because you have a sort of pastoral, this rustic scene. You have some trees that aren't like palm trees and stuff that would make it obviously California. We get a scene where Leo realizes his shirt is missing. He can't find it in the truck. He storms into the laundry uh, area, rips it open, is looking through, and his shirt isn't there, so he's pissed. And uh, later in the episode, he's cutting up a football on a table and he asks Shelly comes home from work he says where was my shirt and then he beats her up with a soak soap and a sock so we're really getting like a sense that you know we don't know explicitly if it's tied to Laura but this definitely seems to relate to 
whatever was tying them together. At least the show wants us to think that. There are some new Laura stories, uh, storylines. One I would just sort of generally lump in under spirituality, talking about Laura's inner life and a dreamy presentation of that. And we get two examples of that in this. We get the video footage of her and Donna slowed down, which may be Donna's dream, like a ghostly presence speaking out to her in a way. And then also Laura's face imposed over Donna's uh, when Sarah is hugging her, followed by, of course, by that spooky vision of the long-haired man. Another new Laura storyline is the mystery man. Nothing more to say about this. It just is what it is right now at this point. That's all we've got. And log lady visions. We know that the log lady's log has something to say about Laura. So these are just like hints, tendrils of upcoming storylines, possibly. Tomorrow we'll continue with the subplots, the non-Laura storylines, all of the scenes that uh, involve characters who are more or, or rather less connected in some way to her. Oftentimes they're connected, but they have other s- stories that kind of branch off in different directions. So we'll get into that material. You can support this podcast by rating, reviewing, or subscribing, particularly on Apple Podcasts, which is the platform that gets the most attention, and also by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash movies, where you can get the whole advanced catalog of this entire podcast in bigger chunks as I released it over the past few years. And also a, a uh, ongoing exclusive series, Twin Peaks Conversations, where I put part of it up on YouTube, but more than half is reserved for $5 a month patrons. And dollar a month patrons get the latest Twin Peaks cinema episodes, big long podcasts, sometimes go for hours on all variety of topics. So there's a lot to dig into there, both in the archive and upcoming Thanks for listening and uh, see you tomorrow.